Chapter 30 of Lorna Doom. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daisy 55. Lorna Doom by Aura D. Blackmore. Chapter 30 Annie Gets the Best of It. I had long outgrown unwholesome feeling as to my father's death, and so had Annie, though Lizzie, who must have loved him least, still entertained some evil will and longing for a punishment. Therefore I was surprised, and indeed startled would not be too much to say the moon being somewhat fleecy, to see our Annie sitting there as motionless as the tombstone, and with all her best fallers upon her, after stowing away of the dishes. My nerves, however, are good and strong, except at least in love matters, wherein they always fail me, and when I meet with witches, and therefore I went up to Annie, although she looked so white and pure, for I had seen her before with those things on, and this struck me who she was. What are you doing here, Annie? I inquired rather sternly, being vexed with her for having gone so very near to frighten me. Nothing at all, said I, Annie, shortly, and indeed it was truth enough for a woman. Not that I dare to believe that women are such liars as men say, only that I mean they often see things round the corner and know not which is which of it. And indeed, I never have known a woman, though right enough in their meaning, purely and perfectly true and transparent, except only my Lorna, and even so, I might not have loved her if she had been ugly. Why, how so, I said, Miss Annie. What business have you here, doing nothing at this time of night and leaving me with all the troubles to entertain our guests. You seem not to be doing it, John, answered Annie softly. What business have you here doing nothing at this time of night? I was taken so aback with this and the extreme impertinence of it from a mere young girl like Annie that I turned round to march away and have nothing more to say to her. But she jumped up and caught me by the hand and threw herself upon my bosom with her face all wet with tears. Oh, John, I will tell you, I will tell you, only don't be angry, John. Angry? No, indeed, I said. What right have I to be angry with you? Because you have your secrets? Every chick of a girl thinks now that she has a right to her secrets. And you have none of your own, John? Of course you have none of your own, or you're going on out at night. We will not quarrel here, poor Annie, I answered with some loftiness. There are many things upon my mind which girls can have no notion of. And so there are upon mine, John. Oh, John, I will tell you everything if you will look at me kindly and promise to forgive me. Oh, I am so miserable. Now this, though she was behaving so badly, moved me much towards her, 
especially as I longed to know what she had to tell me. Therefore, I allowed her to coax me and to kiss me and to lead me away a little as far as the old yew tree, for she would not tell me where she was. But even in the shadow there, she was very long before beginning, and seemed to have two minds about it, or rather perhaps a dozen. And she laid her cheek against the tree, and sobbed till it was pitiful, and I knew what mother would say to her for spoiling her best frock so. Now will you stop, I said at last, harder than I meant it, for I knew that she would go on all night. If any one encouraged her, and though not well acquainted with women, I understood my sisters, or else I must be a born fool, except, of course, that I never professed to understand Eliza. Yes, I will stop, said Annie, panting. You are very hard on me, John, but I know you mean it for the best. If somebody else, I am sure, don't know who, and have no right to know, no doubt, but she must be a wicked thing if somebody else had been taken so with a pain all round the heart, John, and no power of telling it. Perhaps you would have coaxed and kissed her and come a little nearer and made opportunity to be very loving. Now this was so exactly what I had tried to do to Lorna that my breath was almost taken away at Annie's so describing it. For a while I could not say a word but wonder if she were a witch, which had never been in our family. Then, all of a sudden, I saw the way to beat her with the devil at my elbow. From your knowledge of these things, Annie, you must have had them done to you. I demand to know this very moment who has taken such liberties. Then, John, you shall never know if you ask in that manner. Besides, it was no liberty in the least at all. Cousins have a right to do things, and when they are one's godfather, here Annie stopped quite suddenly, having so betrayed herself, but met me in the full moonlight, being resolved to face it out with a good face put upon it. Alas, I feared it would come to this, I answered very sadly. I know he has been here many a time without showing himself to me. There is nothing meaner than for a man to sneak and to steal a young maid's heart without her people knowing it. You are not doing anything of that sort yourself then, dear John, are you? Only a common highwayman, I answered, without heeding her, a man without an acre of his own and liable to hang upon any common and no other writer common over it. John, said my sister, are the dunes privileged not to be hanged upon common land? At this I was so thunderstruck that I leaped in the air like a shot rabbit and rushed as hard as I could through the gate and across the yard and back into the kitchen, and there I asked Farmer Nicholas Snow to give me some tobacco and to lend me a spare pipe. 
This he did with a grateful manner, being now some five-fourths gone, and so I smoked the very first pipe that ever had entered my lips till then, and beyond a doubt it did me good, and spread my heart at leisure. Meanwhile, the reapers were mostly gone, to be up betimes in the morning, and some were led by their wives, and some had to lead their wives themselves, according to the capacity of man and wife respectfully. But Betty was as lively as ever, bustling about with every one and looking out for the chance of groats, which the better off might be free with. And over the kneeling pan next day, she dropped three and sixpence out of her pocket, and Lizzie could not tell for her life how much more might have it been. Now by this time I had almost finished smoking that pipe of tobacco, and wondering at myself for having so despised it head to hole, and to making up my mind to have another trial tomorrow night. It began to occur to me that although dear Annie had behaved so very badly and rudely, and almost taken my breath away with the suddenness of her illusion, yet it was not kind of me to leave her out there at that time of night, all alone and in such distress. Any of the reapers going home might be forgotten, so far beyond fear of ghosts as to venture into the churchyard, and although they would know a great deal better than to insult a sister of mine when sober, there was no telling what they might do in their present state of rejoicing. Moreover, it was only right that I should learn, from Lorna's sake, how far Annie or anyone else had penetrated our secret. Therefore, I went forth at once, bearing my pipe in a skillful manner, as I had seen Farmer Nicholas do, and marking with a new kind of pleasure how the rings and wreaths of smoke hovered and fluttered in the moonlight like a lock upon his carol. Poor Annie was gone back again to our father's grave, and there she sat upon the turf, sobbing very gently and not wishing to trouble anyone. So I raised her tenderly, and made much of her, and consoled her, for I could not scold her there, and perhaps, after all, she was not to be blamed so much as Tom Fagus himself was. Annie was very grateful to me, and kissed me many times, and begged my pardon ever so often for her rudeness to me. And then, having gone so far with it, and finding me so complacent, she must needs try to go a little further, and to lead me away from her own affairs and into mine concerning Lorna. But although it was clever enough of her, she was not deep enough for me there, and I soon discovered that she knew nothing, not even the name of my darling, but only suspected from things she had seen and put together like a woman. Upon this, I brought her back again to Tom Fagus and his doings. My poor Annie, have you really promised him to be his wife? Then, after all, you have no reason, John, no particular reason, I mean, for slighting poor Sally Snow so. 
without even asking mother or me, oh, Annie, it was wrong of you. But darling, you know what mother wish, wishes you so much to marry Sally, and I am sure you could have her tomorrow. She dotes on the very ground. I dare say he tells you that, Annie, that he dotes on the ground you walk upon. But did you believe him, child? You may believe me, I assure you, John, and half the farm to be settled upon her. After the old man's time, and though she gives herself little airs, it is only done to entice you. She has the very best hand in the dairy, John, and the lightest at a turnover cake. Now, Annie, don't talk nonsense so. I wish just to know the truth about you and Tom Fagus. Do you mean to marry him? I to marry before my brother and leave him with none to take care of him? Who can do him a red deer collar except Sally herself, as I can? Come home, dear ones, and I will do you one, for you never ate a morsel of supper with all the people you had to attend upon. This was true enough, and seeing no chance of anything more than cross questions and crooked purposes at which a girl was sure to beat me, I even allowed her to lead me home with the thoughts of the collar uppermost. But I never counted upon being beaten so thoroughly as I was. For knowing me now to be off my guard, the young hussy stopped at the farm gate yard, as if with a rare entangling her, and while I was stooping to take it away, she looked me full in the face by the moonlight and jerked out quite suddenly. Can your love do a collop, John? No, I should hope not, I answered rashly. She is not a mere cookmaid, I should hope not. She is not half so pretty as Sally Snow. I will answer for that, said Annie. She is ten thousand times as pretty as ten thousand Sally Snows, I replied with great indignation. Oh, but look at Sally's eyes, cried my sister rapturously. Look at Lorna Doones, said I, and you will never look again at Sally's. Oh, Lorna Doone, Lorna Doone, exclaimed our Annie, half frightened, yet clapping her hands with triumph at having found me out so. Lorna Doone is the lovely maiden who has stolen poor somebody's heart so. Ah, I shall remember it because it is so queer a name. But stop. I had better write it down. Lend me your hat for a boy to write it on. I have a great mind to lend you a box on the ear, I answered her in my vexation. And I would, if you had not been crying so, you sly good-for-nothing baggage. As it is, I shall keep it for Master Fagus and add interest for keeping. Oh, no, John. Oh, no, John. She begged me earnestly being sobered in a moment. Your hand is so terribly heavy, John, and he never would forgive you. Although he is so good-hearted, he cannot put up with an insult. Promise me, dear John, that you will not strike him, and I will promise you faithfully to
to keep your secret, even from mother, and even from cousin Tom himself. And from Lizzie, most of all from Lizzie, I answered very eagerly, knowing too well which of my relations would be hardest on me. Of course from little Lizzie, said Annie, with some contempt. A young thing like her cannot be kept too long, in my opinion, from the knowledge of such subjects. And besides, I should be very sorry if Lizzie had the right to know your secrets, as I have, dearest John. Not a soul shall be the wiser for your having trusted me, John. Although I shall be very wretched when you are late away at night among those dreadful people. Well, I replied, it is no use crying over spilled milk, Annie. You have my secret, and I have yours, and I scarcely know which of the two is likely to have the worst time of it when it comes to mother's ears. I could put up with perpetual scolding, but not with mother's sad silence. That is exactly how I feel, John. And as Annie said, she brightened up, and her soft eyes shone upon me. But now I shall be much happier, dear, because I shall try to help you. No doubt the young lady deserves it, John. She is not after the farm, I hope. She exclaimed, and that was enough. There was so much scorn in my voice and face. Then I am sure, I am very glad, Annie always made the best of things. For I do believe that Sally Snow has taken a fancy to our dairy place and the pattern of our cream pans, and she asked so much of our metals and the color of the milk. Then, after all you were right, dear Annie, it is the ground she dotes upon and the things that walk upon it, she answered me with another kiss. Sally has taken a wonderful fancy to our best cow, Nipple Pins. But she never shall have her now. What a consolation. We entered the house quite gently thus, and found Farmer Nicholas Snow asleep, little dreaming how his plans had been overset between us, and then Annie said to me, very slyly, between a smile and a blush, Don't you wish Lorna Doon was here, John, in the parlor along with Mother, instead of those two fashionable milkmaids, as Uncle Ben will call them, and poor, stupid Mistress Kibby? That indeed I do, Annie. I must kiss you for only thinking of it. Dear me, it seems as if you had known all about us for a twelfth month. She loves you with all her heart, John. No doubt about that, of course. And Annie looked up at me as much as to say she would like to know who could help it. That's the very thing she won't do, I said, knowing that Annie would love me all the more for it. She is only beginning to like me, Annie, and as for loving... She is so young that she only loves her grandfather, but I hope she will come to it by and by. Of course, she must, replied my sister. It will be impossible for her to help it. 
Ah, well, I don't know, for I wanted more assurance of it. Maidens are such wondrous things. Not a bit of it, said Annie, casting her eyes downwards. Love is as simple as milking, when people know how to do it. But you must not let her alone too long. That is my advice to you. What a simpleton you must have been not to tell me long ago. It would have made Lorna wild about you long before this time, Johnny. But now you go into the parlor, dear, while I do your call-up. Faith Snow is not come, but Polly and Sally. Sally has made up her mind to conquer you this very blessed evening, John. Only look what a thing of a scarf she has on. I should be quite ashamed to wear it. But you won't strike poor Tom, will you? Not I, my darling, for your sweet sake. And so dear Annie, having grown quite brave, gave me a little push into the parlor, where I was quite abashed to enter after all I had heard about Sally, and I made up my mind to examine her well, and to try a little courting with her, if she should lead me on, that I may be in practice for Lorna. But when I perceived how grandly and richly both the young damsels were apparelled, and how in their curtsies to me they retreated as if I were making it up to them, in a way they had learned from Exeter, and how they began to talk of the court as if they had been there all their lives, and the latest mode of the Duchess of this, and the profile of the Countess of that, and the last good saying of my Lord something, instead of butter and cream and eggs and things which they understood. I knew there must be somebody in the room besides Jasper Kebby to talk at. And so there was, for behind the curtain drawn across the window seat, no less a man than Uncle Ben was sitting half asleep and weary, and by his side a little girl very quiet and very watchful. My mother led me to Uncle Ben, and he took my hand without rising, muttering something not over polite about my being bigger than ever. I asked him heartily how he was, and he said, Well enough for that matter, but none the better for the noise you great claws have been making. I am sorry that we have disturbed you, sir, I answered civilly, but I knew not that you were here even and you must allow for harvest time. So it seems, he replied, and allow a great deal, including waste and drunkenness. Now, if you can see so small a thing after an empty flag is much longer, this is my granddaughter and my Harris. Here he glanced at my mother, my Harris, little Ruth Huckleback. I am very glad to see you, Ruth, I answered, offering my hand, which she seemed afraid to take. Welcome to Plowers Borrows, my good cousin Ruth. However, my good cousin Ruth only arose and made me a curtsy, and lifted her great brown eyes at me, more in fears, I thought, than kinship. 
and if ever any one looked unlike the Harris to great property, it was the little girl before me. Come out to the kitchen, dear, and let me chuck you to the ceiling, I said, just to encourage her. I always do it to little girls, and then they can see the hams and bacon. But Uncle Reuben burst out laughing, and Ruth turned away with a deep, rich color. Do you know how old she is, you numbskull? said Uncle Ben in his driest draw. She was seventeen last July, sir. On the first of July, Grandfather, Ruth whispered, with her back still to me, but many people will not believe it. Here Mother came up to my rescue, as she always loved to do, and she said, If my son may not dance Miss Ruth, at any rate he may dance with her. We have only been waiting for you, dear John, to have a little harvest dance, with the kitchen door thrown open. You take Ruth, Uncle Ben takes Sally, Master Deby pair off with Polly, and neighbor Nicholas will be good enough, if I can awake him, to stand up with fair Mistress Keeby. Lizzie will play us the virginal, won't you, Lizzie, dear? But who is to dance with you, madam? Uncle Ben asked, very politely. I think you must rearrange your figure. I have not danced for a score of years, and I will not dance now, while the mistress and the owner of the harvest sits aside neglected. Nay, Master Huckleback cried Sally Snow, with a saucy toss of her hair. Mistress Red is too kind a great deal in handling you over to me. You take her, and I will fetch Annie to be my partner this evening. I like dancing very much better with girls, for they never squeeze and rumple one. Oh, it is so much nicer. Have no fear for me, my dears, my mother answered, smiling. Parson Bowden promised to come back again. I expect him every minute, and he intends to lead me off and to bring a partner for Annie, too. A very pretty young gentleman. Now begin, and I will join you. There was no disobeying her without rudeness, and indeed the girl's feet were already jiggling, and Lizzie giving herself wonderful airs with a roll of learned music, and even while Annie was doing my call-up, her pretty round instep was arching itself, as I could see from the parlor door. So I took little Ruth, and I spun her around as the sound of the music came lively and ringing, and after us came all the rest with much laughter, begging me not to jump over her, and anon my grave partner began to smile sweetly and look up at me with the brightest of eyes and drop me the prettiest curtsy till I thought what a great stoop I must have been to dream of putting her in the cheese rack. But one thing I could not at all understand, why mother, who used to do all in her power to throw me across Sally Snow, should now do the very opposite for she would not allow me one moment with Sally, not even to cross in the dance, or whisper, or go anywhere near corner, which is, I said, I intended to do, just by way of practice. 
while she kept me at all the evening as close as possible to ruth huckerback and came up and praised me so to ruth times and again that i declare i was quite ashamed although of course i knew that i deserved it all but i could not well say that then annie came sailing down the dance with her beautiful hair flowing around her the lightest figure in all the room and the sweetest and the loveliest she was blushing with her fair cheeks red beneath her dear blue eyes as she met my glance of surprise and grief at the partner she was leaning on it was squire marwood de wichesaw i was soon have seen her with tom fagus as indeed i had expected when i heard of parson bowden and to me it seemed that she had no right to be dancing so with any other and to this effect i contrived to whisper but she only said see to yourself john no but let us both enjoy ourselves you are not dancing with lorna john but you seem uncommonly happy tush i said could i flip about so if i had my love with me End of chapter 30 Recording by Daisy 55